so i'm going to be talking about the term emotional labor uh, which was first defined by sociologist arlie hochschild in her book the managed heart and uh, which is going to be the main uh, crux of uh, whatever i'll be talking about but to just to just give an overview basically emotional labor um, arlie hochschild as she says it is about displaying certain emotions and that those emotions become part of the requirements of a job um since she has used the term uh, she mostly used it in in reference to um uh in reference to flight attendants that is the main uh, group of people who she is researching while she is talking about emotional labor um however she also talks about other professions uh, we'll come to that as we talk about the book but um basically since she wrote the book this sort of a this term has been identified with a lot of different people um, a lot of different professions uh, including public ad- public administration caring for children and el- and and the elderly medical care social work teaching um uh, maybe uh, maybe also some jobs in the media and largely basically what she is arguing for is saying that you know since the rise of the service sector in the world itself this has happened so i'll i'll go into all of that um, and briefly uh, later on uh, but first like I, i so i'll just like to say some basic uh, things about what she's doing in the book the book is the main um, topic of conversation the book is called the managed heart the commercialization of human feeling um and uh, it was first published in 1983 so it's a it's a dated book it's an old book um and since then of course like i said a lot of work has been done with regards to emotional labor anyway i'll just dive right into the book itself uh, so there are two parts to the book uh, this part one where she's talking about uh, feelings and emotions in the private life and then there's part two where she's talking about uh feelings in 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 public life um and all across she all throughout she is sort of trying to um bring it back towards what it means for emotions to be part of labor as in that uh, we would generally consider emotions um to be something that we deal with in our private lives um uh, of course we deal with emotions we deal with stress anxiety and things like that when we are working but the 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 matter that she is actually interested in, in is when you have to manage emotions as part of your job so for example people in the service sector uh, part of their job is to appear friendly and um, uh, seem interested and control anger and so on so th- that's the kind of emotional management that she's actually talking about so at the outset uh, hoshel is saying that uh, you know there are there are people who use physical labor and for example she says that someone who's making wallpaper and she's saying that what really is the difference between someone who's making who's producing that wallpaper as a laborer as a as someone who's selling his physical labor and and someone uh, someone like a flight attendant who is providing a service within the uh, within a flight so she's saying that on the surface there is a difference about uh, we know that labor produces things um but uh, how, how can a so she's asking the question how can a worker in the wallpaper factory tell when his job is done in this case what happens is that the worker knows that his job has been done by uh, counting the number of rows that he produced or just basically knowing that the product is finished uh, but on the other hand the flight attendant's job is done when the customer seems content 
so the emotional aspect of um, her job is basically part of the job itself part of the service itself um in a way that for example liking or not liking the wallpaper is not part of the uh, job of the person who's producing the wallpaper now this seems this isn't um this isn't probably a really great comparison but the idea here is that uh, the job that the flight attendant does has something um else that is also happening on top of her uh, on top of the physical labor that she produce that she produces and uh, there is physical labor involved here as well when she's for example she's pushing heavy meal carts through the aisles uh, when she's doing some sort of mental work when she prepares for emergency uh landings or evacuations and things like that but in the in the process of doing this mental and physical work she is also expected to do emotional labor now this emotional labor is basically the suppression or induction of feelings uh so that uh which which sort of which which sort of changes our outward expression um which produces a a better state of mind or some kind of a state of mind in other people now the other people in this case are the customers uh so basically they the customers will be uh, uh, will be given the impression that they are cared for uh, and that they are in a safe place um uh and uh, uh one one uh, thing that she says here is that uh, this requires her the 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 flight attendant to uh, to uh, to balance between the mind and the heart and to also source on the idea of a self that is very essential to how we uh understand our individuality now i'll get into that a little bit later in the latter part of the book she also goes into this aspect of um, uh managing feelings um interestingly what she says is that um, emotional labor uh, does not really observe uh, conventional distinctions what she's saying is that um, in america one third of the workers of all workers have jobs that have uh, some sort of a demand for emotional labor um and uh, that she also claims that all women who work um pretty much like half of them have um, jobs that call for emotional labor so of course particularly she is talking about uh, women's work uh, work that is generally done by women and the expectation of emotional labor is typically high there is basically what she's arguing um of course she says that a lot of the uh, this sort of an inquiry does seem like it is relevant to only capitalism but she also says that it is not unknown um in socialism um that any sort of a functioning society will make use of uh, the emotions of um, its members this is the basically uh, she she thinks is it's not just about capitalism here although it, it, a lot of it has to do with that okay now the important part um the basically what has she done what is her research like you know what who has she talked to you know what is her basis for saying all of these things so there are a couple of things that she's done the first thing uh, that she does is to sort of understand how people from different classes and different uh, genders they experience emotion and the way that they manage it so for this she talks to um, she gave out questionnaires uh, to filth to 261 students in um at uh, university of california berkeley uh, this was done in 1974 uh, so the uh, first part of her book sort of uh, goes into this here basically she is asking them questions about you know how they manage emotions so she is asking things like you know uh, can you describe a uh, a situation in which you had to 
uh, in which you had to change the situation or you had to fit your feelings or you had to change the way you feel about the situation and so on. And then she looked through those responses, trying to understand how people were going to be talking about their feelings. And what she found basically was there were times when, you know, uh, people would be talking about how they were trying to fall in love or trying to fall out of love with someone. Um, they were trying to feel grateful. They were trying not to feel depressed. Um, they were they were trying not to be angry. They were trying not to make themselves feel sad, and so on and so forth. So these are the kind of management of feelings that she's talking about, as far as the first uh, set of um, questionnaires um, are concerned. Um, the second part, uh, the second thing that she did was to look at then public life, as in to look at uh, emotions in the domain of work. Now, in order to do this, uh, she again, there are two things here, okay? The first thing, the first uh, group of people that she talked to for this was to enter the world of flight attendants. And for this, she chose Delta Airlines as a... Um, as a as the site, uh, because of a variety of reasons that I don't um, I'm I'm not going to get into. But uh, she she here at this point she's talking to uh, flight attendants. Um, not only this, she just doesn't talk to the flight attendants. She also attends their training sessions. Uh, this is one thing that uh, she emphasizes. Um, secondly, she also talks to executives and officials of Delta Airlines, uh, managers and uh, people in recruitment training, in sales and billing and so on and so forth. Um, also, also various supervisors. They're also talking to uh, certain advertising agents who are employed by Delta Airlines. And... Um, yeah, that's. I think that's. I'm covering pretty much everyone. And the second thing she does in order to look at uh, emotions in the domain of work is to look at the recruiting um, sessions um, at another airline, which is uh, Pan American um, Airways. Uh, so uh, here, uh, here she doesn't talk to the flight attendants directly. She's only going through how uh, flight attendants are recruited and what kind of requirements are told to them that you need to have this, this, this in order to become a flight attendant at Pan Am. So that is the other thing. She explains why she picked flight attendants as her uh, group of study because she says that there are studies that are related to uh, elite professions uh, which account for gender quite a bit, so lawyers, doctors and things like that, but uh, very few studies that have anything to do with secretaries, waitresses and so on, um, which uh, the latter of which are, is dominated by women So, um, and the former of which is not so much. So uh, the flight attendant, the category of the flight attendant sort of falls kind of between the two. It is not as elite as uh, being a doctor but it is also not um, uh, it is also elite enough uh, uh, to be considered um, uh, not uh, as uh, low paid as the jobs of uh, secretaries and waitresses and so on um, uh, and flight attendants there, there, there is still a scope to study how there's a difference between the genders because there are male flight attendants as well although um, see, like seemingly they are very few in number relatively speaking um, also, a very small uh, group of people who she talked to were bill collectors. Um, bill collectors are mostly men. And uh, she's saying that uh, as a small part of this project, she interviewed five bill collectors. Um, also at Delta Billing itself, uh, the Delta Airlines uh, Billing itself. And uh, why she did that was that who uh, that bill collectors sometimes have to deliberately deflate the status of the customer by distrust and anger because they're bill collectors, right? And um, so she looked at five uh, she talked to five of uh, the bill collectors as well and that's although it's a very small group of people she does sort of uh, bring insights from that um, area as well
um so firstly of course we need to ask the question what um, emotion is and um, initially uh, an older sort of an understanding of what emotion is is like um, an external stimulus basically the understanding here is that like how a cold weather makes us cold is how some sort of an external stimuli will make us happy or sad or anxious and so on um but uh, uh, but really if we think about um, it a little bit deeper we realize that emotion um is also how we manage it of how we express it how we interpret events in order to feel something and while it may not be a very conscious decision it is also not completely external to external to us right um so some other theorists would argue that uh, basically culture also um, impinges on emotion and it can affect what uh, we understand as emotion um and this sort of seems like a better definition than to think that emotion is just something external to us that just happens to us um that just some that's just something that we undergo you know when something happens to us um uh, so another thing that she says here is that uh, generally the perception is that um uh, you know emotion is something irrational that if um, if someone is emotional then it is distorting their perception it is leading them to act irrationally uh, and therefore any any way in which that i can suppress my emotion is actually a good idea but actually that's not the case uh, emotion can also be uh, sort of a clue it is a way of uh, like i said before a way of interpreting the world and hostel sort of says this, this in a very um, interesting way saying that um, we feel signals that emotion signals us uh, a way of uh, a sort of an unconscious perspective um, gives us an unconscious perspective of uh, how we are perceiving the world and so a person who is without emotion has basically no warning system uh, this person is not able to um, have memory or have a fantasy and so on um so i i'll quote from her book she's saying like one who cannot feel and touches fire an emotion an emotionless person suffers a sense of arbitrariness which from the point of view of his or her self interest is actually irrational so um and quote by the way <laughs> and uh, so basically uh, it, this is the sort of purpose of emotion or um, what emotion uh, does to us what it means to us um so now that uh, this is clear hostel then goes into what basically we do with our emotions so here she uh, sort of defines two things one thing that she's saying is surface acting which is basically when we try to deceive others um what 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 i mean by deceiving others is that uh, uh, is that i mean all of us have done this that uh, uh if if one is feeling something one will try to sh- not show it um and um uh one way of course to think about this is this is something that actors do that uh, they when they are acting they are obviously not really feeling um they know that they are not feeling sad but they are acting and this is surface acting on the other hand there is something like uh, something called deep acting which is when you are sort of how how hostel puts it is when you are deceiving yourself so that is the sort of thing you do when uh, you get angry but you suppress the anger because you are in a circumstance where you cannot express that anger so th- that is deep acting where you then try to convince yourself that um you know you aren't angry or that you shouldn't be angry and in that way you control your anger uh this deep acting is basically uh, what uh, hoshal is concerned which is saying that uh, uh deep acting is sort of made essential by uh, by uh, companies um especially uh, 
for a profession like uh, flight attendant um so at delta airlines for example there is a technique um there is a training of techniques of deep acting um so basically this is the this is the idea where you know if a if a customer is behaving very rudely with a flight attendant the flight attendant is likely to get angry but she has to suppress that anger right and delta airlines can teach her how to do this you know and she is only qualified for the job really if she learns this otherwise she is not qualified for the job um now this is where a very interesting thing happens you know we are very aware um uh, as um, as a, as as individuals in a society of the way in which um there are commercial feelings at play so for example when a, when a, when someone like a flight attendant is going to smile at you we we very quickly realize that that is part of her job so we subtract those uh, sort of feelings from her behavior and we say you know you know it's part of her job to be nice to me and uh in subtracting such things we 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 sort of also define ourselves um um whether we we distinguish our own behaviors as being something that our work demands from us or that who we really are um yeah so um, now at the start of the third chapter she um, hashal kind of takes a really amazing example about what about what is sort of what happens to us when we uh, when, when we do deep acting So she's taking the example of this uh, Russian fellow Konstantin Stanislavsky. I hope I'm saying it right. Um so Stanislavsky is at a party uh, one day and uh, the, his friends are goofing around and you know all of those things making jokes laughing so on. Um out of the blue like they not you know they're just fooling around and uh, someone suggests that you know we should operate on this guy. So they they bring in a table, um uh, they bring in white sheets, they bring in bandages and basins and water and what not and the surgeons even you know some of them pretend to be surgeons and they put on a white coat then they put him on the operating table coat and coat operating table and uh, blindfold him um now they are being very serious like they are all pretending to really be serious about this operation that they are doing although it's very clearly a joke but at that point stanislavsky gets scared he he wonders if they would really cut him open and um uh you know everyone's really serious and everyone's really quiet and then some some uh, some things happen and then the blindfold is taken off and he realizes that they had obviously been kidding and that they had swaddled his hand in some bandages and they had drawn a silly face on it suggesting that you know he gave birth to that um baby or something um but so this is the example that hoshal uh, takes and she says that in the moment in the moment when stanislavsky actually feels that they are going to operate on him he is not pretending to be scared he is really scared now he has sort of brought that on to himself by deep acting that he himself truly started to believe that probably these friends of his are going to operate on him and this is what happens when a person is deep acting is what she's suggesting that one really begins to believe uh something and sort of fools oneself into feeling those things um now this is obviously uh, something that we all sort of feel and in her research when she talked to the students uh, some a lot of the students she says that uh, they they when they were talking about um something that they really deeply felt they talked about things like you know i psyched myself up i tried not to feel disappointed i forced myself to have a good time i mustered up some gratitude i tried to put uh, put down my love for her i snapped myself out of depression so these were basically things where uh, you know there was an, a will to evoke certain feelings and this is something that i'm sure that a lot of us have gone through 
So now under what circumstances do we really do this type of stuff, you know? Um, Harsha is saying that we deep act when we try to, when we're trying to stir up a feeling that we wish that we had or when we try to suppress a feeling that we wish that we didn't have. Um, now this sort of uh, pretending can sometimes of course be useful when we are trying to manage our feelings and we are trying to, uh, uh, you know, make ourselves happier or trying to rationalize not uh, rationalize um, out our way out of sadness or anger and so on but sometimes what can happen is that when we uh, create this illusion of feeling or not feeling something um, then uh, it might be construed by ourselves that uh, because we are participating in this illusion we are liars uh, so for example to, to, to give an example for this Hoschild is talking about um, a woman uh, who is a mother of two um, and who is also married um, and she says that she is desperately trying to change her feelings about being trapped in a marriage. Um, so, so I'll just quote what she says. I am desperately trying to change my feelings of being trapped in marriage into feelings of wanting to remain with my husband voluntarily. Sometimes I think I'm succeeding. Sometimes I know I haven't. It means I have to lie to myself and know that I'm lying. It means that I don't like myself very much. It also makes me wonder whether or not I'm a bit of a masochist. I feel responsible for my children's future and for my husband's. And there is an old sacrificer syndrome. I know that I know what I'm doing. I just don't know how long I can hold out. Uh, so basically, clearly, this this sort of a deep acting is affecting um, this particular woman in a certain way. And uh, this is just something that we should keep in mind uh, for something that will come up later. Now, where does this sort of a deep acting or this manipulation of your own feelings sort of come up institutionally speaking? So, Hushchild uh, in, in this regard sort of gives an example first of um, a group of college students who are training to become counsellors for uh, emotionally disturbed children. Now, this sort of work, this uh, sort of uh, study was done by Albert Cohen. And um, so initially when the junior when the junior staff, you know, the college students, when they come and they look at the behavior of the, the children, these children are very, um, they're screaming and they're very angry um, and so on. So they, they don't understand how do I deal with, um, you know, such a child. And the senior counselors are sort of advising them. They're saying that uh, you have to look at the children as victims of uncontrollable impulses, uh, which is somehow related to their backgrounds. And uh, there is a, there's a requirement, there's a huge requirement requirement of people needing to be kind towards them uh, you know so that they can break down um, so that they can understand that adults are not always necessarily hateful or hostile and so on so uh, basically uh, the clinicians the the junior counselors are being taught how they are supposed to feel about um, the children that they must not respond in anger that they must never punish and uh, sometimes uh, they might have to isolate children children so that they don't hurt themselves or others they have to always be warm and loving now to always be warm and loving towards a child who is screaming and kicking you and who's constantly insulting you whose central problem uh Hushchild says is that they are unlovable this requires a lot of emotional work um, and this is emotional work that the counselor is expected to do um, now, like I said before, uh, uh, this kind of deep acting or, um, you know, uh, clear manipulation of emotions, uh, we do this in our everyday life and we do this for a variety of different reasons. We might do it uh, for, you know, purposes of self-discovery, um, as in, you know, something we might do in therapy or we might do it as an, as an act, as in if, if you're an actor, you do it for that um, in drama or as an, as a, as a, as an art form. Um, 
uh, or we might do it because uh, we want to do it for a loved one for example um but but the issue with uh, this kind of for doing this sort of a thing for commercial purposes is that uh, one would be doing it for making money so that will also be something that uh, she goes into um in the the second half of the book uh, but at this point then she starts to talk about something called feeling rules um so basically uh, the way that hostel puts uh, what feeling rules might mean is be- is the uh, pinch between what i do feel and what i should feel um and how do we understand you know that there is a feeling rule here so feeling rule basically uh, would be the idea that we are assessing ourselves we are assessing what we are feeling at the moment we are also assessing how how we are appearing to other people around us as in how do they think we are feeling at this moment and then we are also thinking about what sac- sanctions are we getting because of this display of emotion so basically this would be a sort of circumstance where you know uh, for example the an example that hostel takes in her uh, book is where she's saying that uh, there is a woman that she has talked to who whose father had just passed away and at the when she's talking about when she found out that her father had died she says that she didn't feel much immediately when she got the news for a few days she was uh, she didn't feel anything right and that is something that is inappropriate behavior um, according to her so her her, her expectation was that she uh, should have been feeling sad but she wasn't feeling sad so the feeling rule here is the disparity between the, those two expectations another example that she takes is of a bride who um, whose wedding day has not really gone very well so she um so she's thinking about how everything on her wedding day was chaos and you know her friends weren't there for her and uh, there were a lot of disasters that happened and so on and so forth but uh basically she was expecting that she would it would be the happiest day of her life and that's how she articulates it she, it's a a piece of her interview is in the book and she says that you know i was supposed to feel radiant and beautiful and it was supposed to be the best day of my life but it didn't happen that way and i didn't feel happy at all so um that is again an example of a feeling rule where the expectation is that she's supposed to feel happy but she isn't for some reason um she says a lot of other things in this particular chapter but i'll skip ahead to the next chapter at which point where she uh, talks about guilt and how guilt is related to um the feeling rules that she talks about is in this way that uh, sometimes when we cannot manage to enjoy or feel grateful or feel sad or feel um extremely happy i mean whatever we are supposed to be feeling in a situation there is some guilt involved now hostel says this is, this guilt comes because of some kind of a debt the idea is that one is supposed to feel a certain way about someone and when one doesn't feel that way then there is some guilt involved so if for example the woman that we previously talked about if she is not uh, sad about um, if she is not immediately sad about her father passing away when she finds that out there is some guilt involved uh, towards uh, towards uh, the larger um um idea of having to feel that way <laughs> now this is a pretty big example of uh, you know a person feeling guilty when uh, when she's not sad because uh, her father passed away but in sort of uh, simpler terms um there are there can be other everyday examples where uh, there is guilt involved because we didn't react a certain way to someone so that would be you know something as simple as uh, pretending to like a gift that someone gave you or pretending to like a joke that someone told you or um uh, or some such um, everyday act 
and really what hoshal is saying is that um, in everyday relationships also in our personal relationships also we perform this sort of um, emotional work um, in order to uh, make things uh, you know uh, in order in order to make things reciprocable if that's a word i guess and uh, so for example in a marriage for example there is there is usually some sort of an exchange of services you know that i fix the car i mow the lawn i do the laundry and you do the cooking and so on and so forth and of course there are some larger some deeper favors as well that uh, uh, you know two partners will make for each other and uh, while this may be the case uh, this this is something that we seem to understand uh, what becomes an issue is when uh, when people of unequal status um, are, ex- are are involved in this exchange it becomes so that the bottom dog as in the person who is of a lower status will have to contribute more and uh, what hoshal is saying that uh, for example uh, servants uh, when they are deferentially smiling or when they are being attentive or when they are um laughing or something like that when or even when someone like that is doing a task like this and she also says women uh, are included in this category um they are doing sort of emotional work that is more than whoever whoever is the high uh, whoever has the higher status in the relationship is doing and really what uh, what happens is that uh, there is an exchange rate of what kind of emotional work one is going to put into a relationship uh, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or um, any any other kind of personal re- relationship and um, when when this when the negotiation of such a rate is collapsing that is when that relationship will end as in one of the persons is probably thinking that i am being owed more than what i'm putting in so in that case obviously there'll be some dissatisfaction i mean this this is something that hoshal kind of um, mentions mentions in passing as something that happens uh, uh, as far as a uh, as far as an exchange of emotional work is concerned